So we were still laying the foundation, and I appreciate your guys' faithfulness uh, to continue to to come and to listen to these words. Um, the elders and I and the deacons really believe that this is just so important and that we need to hear this word for today because a lot of the foundations that we're finding um, are crumbling right now out there in the world and in religion too. Hi, what is going on? Oh, the children, I'm sorry. I told you guys, show me smoke signals or something. Is that children for, okay, yes, children, I'm so sorry, forgive me. Children, you have to forgive me and you need to go, yes. Uh, they could all rise up against me, but <laughs> there's a lot of them today, too. <laughs> yeah, I need like a, a placard or something, like just children. It's like, yeah, I have children. I'll dismiss them. Yeah, he uses all kinds of tools, guys. Faith and works. And this course coming from Hebrews 6. Last week we were talking... Um, about repentance to faith in God. And repentance, first of all, is not what we originally thought it was. It is a work of God. And it originates with God, as we see in the prodigal son. And we also see in Psalms, um, this is... Psalm 80, you don't have to turn there, verses 3, 7, and 19. Three times within that scripture, it says, Turn us again, O God, and cause your face to shine upon us, and we shall be saved. The Old Testament spoke of this as well. That that is the Lord that begins to turn us. And as we turn in repentance, remember the Greek and the Hebrew, changing your mind, and then changing your direction, just like with the prodigal son. When we begin to turn back to him, his face begins to shine on us. Because we're not doing our own thing anymore. We're turning back to the Father. That is his work. However, we do have to make that decision in our heart, whether we will turn or not. And that's the will. Whether we will or whether we won't. And God has given us everything we need to make that turn to repent, every bit of it. And we also learned that repentance is not an emotion. Now, you can be emotional turning back to God, but it is mainly a decision of the will. So, and as we moved on from repentance, we moved into faith and how faith relates to God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where it starts. And learn that faith is a substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. And so again, we see faith linked so closely to hope. It's a little different than hope because hope, we know, is set in the future. It's something we don't have yet. It's like that anchor way out there that we are tethered to, that we hold to. And we know that hope also has to do with our mind, our soul, what we think. It protects us. 
Faith is a little bit different because it primarily is concerned with right now, the present. And we know that faith is something that we don't see. It's a substance. It's within us. But we can't see it. And it primarily deals with our heart, not our mind. There's a difference. We'll be talking about the body and the soul and the spirit later on down the road. But we're going to skip over that for right now. We also know that with our faith that it's going to be tested. And again, I just feel that this a push from the Lord to say this again, that because difficult and hard things are going on in your life is not necessarily mean that you're doing something wrong. Our faith must be tested. And it goes through fire. It's got to be purified. So, don't be discouraged if you're going through a hard, difficult time right now. It might not be sin. It might be because God is growing you. And you're having to walk through something else. He's there with you. Every step of the way. And of course, one of my favorite scriptures of all. In Hebrews 11.6, that without faith it is impossible to please God. But with faith, it is absolutely possible to please Him. And that should be... As a born-again believer, the cry of our heart, that we begin to turn to God, that we want to please Father, Abba Father. We're that close to Him. And I know that I'm pushing almost 50 now. And I still want to please my dad, that old man, whom I love. I still want him to be proud of me. It is something that is naturally in the heart of every human child and as you grow up, you want them to like, yeah, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen? All right. So, today we're going to be talking about faith and works. And by faith, simply we just want to talk about faith is something that we believe. Works, something that we do. We want to talk about the correct relationship between the two, because both are very important. But the order that we get it in is even more important, I believe. First, before we start about that, we want to start at the beginning of our faith. Um, if you guys can turn to First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, chapter 3 and 4. And this is concerning the gospel that Paul preached. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. It's very clear. These are historical facts in our faith, and we believe in them if you are a believer in Christ. If there's things left out of that, that's not the gospel. The gospel is this. And it's so important to grasp that it's all about him. 
that he did it all. And that is the beginning of our faith. So, when this happens, when we believe, you know, Jesus said, you know, those guys who went through it with him, his disciples who saw the miracles, watched him suffer and die, then be raised again from the dead, we weren't there for that. They're able to see that with their own eyes, so we get an additional blessing on top of that. Blessed are those who believe but have not seen these things. That's the eye of faith right there. So we get additional blessings because of that. That should make you glad. I'm all about the extra blessings and treasures and rewards. I mean, come on, who does like pirate stuff, you know, finding treasures? It's great. So because of that, we are reckoned righteous by believing in this gospel, this great gospel of grace. We also see here, too, that it's the scriptures that attest to this. It talks about afterwards that all these other people did see this. Peter, John, many other people witnessed this. But it's the scripture that says this is what happened. And that's the authority of God. So as we talk about receiving faith, um, I'd like us to go ahead and turn to Romans 4, 5. Romans 4, 5. I, yeah, I'm sorry, Ron, i got to back it up. Verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So what is one of the first things we have to do is we come to him in faith. And it's so important. Stop working. Stop striving. Stop trying. Believe. And I am not going to bash the law. I love the law of God and all that it says. But if it could produce that righteousness that brought us in right relationship with God, then we didn't need Jesus to die for our sins. The first part of it is to stop working. And I didn't realize they are going to be playing that song because it is God that is working in us. Through his spirit. So that no man can boast. Because there's something in us, in our flesh, that desires that. If you give me a set of rules, as good as the law is, or any other God-given rules or regulations, we have a part in that. God says, no. I have a new covenant. 
And I'm going to take that old stony heart of yours away and replace it with one of flesh. Not only that, he said he's going to take our sin and separate it as far as east is from the west. And he says, I will remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. And those poor foolish atheists are like, Oh, can God make a rock that's too big for him to carry? Oh, gosh, I just want to stomp on them sometimes. In a godly way. I don't know about that, but I'll tell you what. God made himself forget your sins, my sins, my lawless transgressions. Every single one of us broke the holy law of God. Every single one of us. We were under the death penalty because of that. And those poor fools out there who get so excited about breaking God's laws, in the end, it's not them breaking God's law, it's His law breaking them. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's holy. It's good. It's true. There's something wrong with us. That's why God had to do this whole new creation. A new beginning. A new star. A new covenant. His work. One of those blessed scriptures. Uh, and I'm going way off the trail on this, but that's okay. In the beginning, in John, where it talks about the law came through Moses. We love Moses. There was no one as great as Moses. He was a great servant. There wasn't a more humble man than him ever in the Old Testament. But grace and truth came through Jesus, the Son. Don't ever forget that. His mighty work. How incredible is that grace? So, grace is that which comes from God. It's received without earning it. You can't work for grace. If you think that you're working to get grace, you're not getting it. You've got to believe and receive what that, that comes from God. It is. Is absolutely that free gift. So that no one can boast. You guys can turn to Ephesians 2. Are you all with me? All right. Ephesians 2. Starting with verse 8. Here it comes. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works.
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we see that perfect marriage of faith and grace. And then finding out what it is that God has created us to do in this life and to begin to walk in them. How wonderful it is. You can't have the works first and then try to please God by doing this or not doing that or tasting this or not tasting that or looking at this or not looking at that. And God says, you have to start with me. The beginning point. That great work. I was like, what is that great work? Believe in the one that he sent, that the Father sent. Jesus, full of grace, full of truth. And there's no one like him. So it takes boasting away that bragging right of our flesh. It eliminates it because we didn't have any part in it. How exciting is that? Because it protects us from probably one of, if not the most deadly of all the sins, pride. Where we think that we had a hand in it, in our salvation. We did not. Because if we did, it would be a shaky foundation. And part of the issues and problems that we have as believers, and I know my own life, is where I tried to mix the two. Grace and law, or setting, keeping a bunch of rules, but also believing God some of the time. And I know in my own experience, it was just a life of desperation, of frustration, two steps forward, three stumbling, bumbling steps backward, because I was trying to do it on my own strength, my own cleverness. And God won't have any of that. Did he still love me during that time? Yes. But it seemed like the harder I tried to love God and to do the right thing, the more I just got sucked into that, that quicksand. And then at one time, probably in my early 30s, it was like a, the life of quiet resignation. If I just keep my head down and just kind of make it through this life, because obviously I'm not having any effect on these sins in my life, it doesn't feel like I'm pleasing the Lord at all. I'm doing some things okay. My wife seems somewhat happy. My kids are somewhat obedient. But if I just kind of keep low, maybe God will just like just let me just slip in. And that is what it is when you begin to, to try to save yourself. It's futile. And God will allow you to stay in that state. Never really growing, never maturing, never moving on. And thank God for the revelation that came from the Holy Spirit. That around 38 years old, I received that revelation about what grace was. And it was His Son all along. And it's like, how did I miss it? And the enemy got all over me. He's like, how could you miss this all along? But by that time, I was just so full of joy. He just laughed them off. It was like, man, I had that joy. He's like, hey, you're correct. I didn't know about it, but praise God I do now. His good pleasure. And begin to walk in that. 
And it's been revolutionary. It's been about nine years now. And it's completely changed my walk. I thank God for it. So I want you guys to understand that this walk, this Christianity is not a set of rules and regulations. It is not, and it never will be. It is a relationship with the living God. Don't forget that. Put that deep in your heart. Romans 3.20, if you guys could turn there. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And that's certainly one of the wonderful things about God's holy law, is that it diagnoses what the problem is within you. However, the law has no power to make any change at all. It's a great diagnostic, diagnostic tool to figure out you know, whether you're an adulterer or a con man or a woman or a boaster, or someone who's disobedient to their parents. It's great at that. It has zero power, though, to change your heart, to follow the living God. There's just there's no power in it. There just isn't. That's okay. Turn to Romans 6.14. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Just take a deep breath of that. A deep drink. This is good news. The striving, the sweating, the worrying, the wondering... And where am I going? What's going to happen when I die? Because you're just trying to keep these poor laws and these regulations and stuff, but it just, it'll never change you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Because if you're under grace, you're going to start overcoming sin. You'll have dominion over it. God spoke that word a long time ago to Cain. He did. He says, sin is at your door, crouching. And its desire is for you. But you must master it. You must have dominion over it. We were made to overcome through him. All right. Turn to Romans 7. We're sticking in Romans a lot, aren't we? And that's one of the main themes of Romans. It's righteousness. How can a simple man be righteous before God? It's all in here. Romans 7. Verses 4 through 6. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law 
through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the passions of sins which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So at one time, we were, and it's kind of a weird and a difficult concept, we were married to the law. And the law was wonderful, except it was just so exacting. We had to do everything correct. And if you didn't, there had to be some sort of penalty. You had to offer a sacrifice. And we know that we could not accomplish that righteousness before God by being with the law. But when, when Christ came, we died with Christ. And when he died, we rose again with him. That we're married, not to the law anymore, but to Christ. We are with him now. And he works that righteousness in us, that holiness. He clothes us with a robe of righteousness. Remember from the prodigal son, not only that, but he put a ring on his son's finger and sandals on his feet. He's the one that does that work. We don't have to work for that anymore. And that's one of the scary things here too. The law stirs up sin. Not because there's anything wrong with the law. There's something wrong with us. We do not like being told what to do. And the old saying, maybe it isn't an old saying, you never find out how bad you are until you try to be good. Try it sometime. Many people just guys like, forget it, I'm just going to have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to be like a pirate. Just enjoy this life because obviously this other thing is just making me miserable. And that's a natural way of looking at it, and it's true. It's a worldly truth. So, the law stirs up these things in us. Because it says, yeah, sure, you can do it, buddy. You can get by. You don't have to hang out with that woman. Don't worry about it. You can, don't worry about it. You don't have to. <laughs> don't worry about taking another drink of alcohol and getting in a car. You can handle this. If we go to Romans 10.4. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The law cannot bring righteousness. We also see that there is a warning for that mixture of wanting to have a little bit of the law, following rules, and mixing that with their faith. 
And we know that's in the, the Galatian church. If you guys turn to Galatians 3, verse 1. Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This is all I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect? By the flesh. And it is a serious error to mix those two things up. Do not do that. Appreciate the law for what it is. It's a lot of things. It was also a guide to bring us to Jesus. A school tutor. To hold us along the hand to bring us to the Savior because... The law couldn't do those things in our heart. It couldn't change us. But it was supposed to bring us to Jesus who could change us from the inside out. Not like the law where it works from the outside trying to work in. Two different things. And if we go over to verse 10 in chapter 3 of Galatians... For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. This is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessings of Abraham, our great father, might come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. If you guys could turn to Romans 8. That the Lord has wanted me to kind of wrap this up. Romans 8, 3 through 4. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of a sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
So as we begin to move in that direction, where it's not the stone tablets that were written at Sinai. It's like now we have the lawgiver inside of us, in our heart, producing that righteousness in our heart. But we've got to walk by the Spirit. We can't walk by the flesh anymore. We've got to say no to that. And yes to Him. Simple as that. And so one here, the things that says in verse 4, says the righteous requirement of the law. And I think, and I believe in my own heart, that that can be summed up um, in one word, what the righteous requirement of the law. And anyone kind of give a guess that, what that is? Four-letter word. It's not a swear word. Love. Love. You guys turn to Matthew 22. You guys are hanging in there really good. Thank you. Matthew 22, starting with verse 35. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the and then the prophets. So we see here that love is what God has been looking for all along. But we also got to be careful of this too, because John the disciple had an insight, I believe, in this as well, that he, Jesus, first loved us. Okay, and that is how he began to teach us how to love. Him and to love one another. We need to be careful of that. He's the one that shows us how to love. Amen? All right. Almost there, guys. Romans 13. Romans 13, starting with verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. How great is that? And it fulfills it all. All 613 of those laws. 
I remember about uh, 10 years ago, um, my grandfather had died when I was in, I think, 1992. So it was probably about, yeah, it was about 2009. And I had a dream. And in it, I was back in upstate New York. And I was walking down Wardwell Street where my grandparents lived. Um, two wonderful people. I still miss them so much. And as I was walking toward the house, it was just like it was one of those dreams where just everything was just very real and crisp. Um, smells even. And as I walked up to the the front porch, I saw my grandfather and my grandmother on rocking chairs just sitting there. And I knew in the dream that Grandpa was already gone. So I knew, it was kind of those weird things like, I know that I'm in a dream, <laughs> but this is happening. And I remember Grandpa and Grandma just looked, um, I guess that word would be ageless. They looked old, but there was like a, such a youthfulness to both of them. I, I can't really explain it. And I remember just kind of, I was stunned. I was just looking at my grandpa, and he had this huge smile on his face. And, and it was like, I was wondering what he was going to say to me. And he came over and gave me this big hug. He wasn't very demonstrative when it came to, you know, those type of things, even though I knew I loved him and he loved me. And then he, as he pulled back from hugging me, he said to me, because I have a message for you, Josh. And I said, go ahead. And he goes, I have two things to say. Love God and love everyone else. And I woke up. And what happened that day is still just as real (laughs) as me getting up and talking about it right now. That it is true. There's nothing greater than that. And... I just want you guys to be blessed today and continue on this journey with me and our elders and leaders here in laying this foundation to make sure and to know this great hope that you've been called to. That it's not just for this life, but as we step into eternity. The things that we do here are going to determine what we do in that next age to come, and it is real. Amen. All right. Bobby, is there anything from you, sir? Or... Love one another. Okay. God bless you guys.